Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Dave Popovich. And I'm Leanna Wachniak. Well, it doesn't sound like Faisal today. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Leanna, this is, a, this is a really cool show for me because uh, Leanna has been a team member with me for how long now? Eight, nine years? Just about nine years. Nine years. And uh, we'll be the newest member of our advisory team on November the 1st. So congratulations. And as, as you know, being part of the advisory team means you have to do these appearances <laughs> and media and speak to people. And so thank you very much for joining me for your very first More Than Money show. Well, thank you for having me on today, Dave. It's odd to be on this side of the mic, let me tell you. <laughs> we have got a terrific show today. We've got lots of questions um, around what's happening in markets and in particular fixed income markets. And we're going to have Brian DeCosta join us in just a minute. We've got some questions for him and help people understand about what we've gone through, where we are today, and what things look like in the future. But we also get lots of questions, Leanna, and your background is in law, in uh, university, you studied law. That's right. We get lots of questions with respect to our legacy bucket work that we do with clients. And sometimes family dynamics are what they are, and there's issues around certain children and rights around um, different people in your life. And, what, and there's differences not just for types of people in your life, but also provinces. That's and right. so it, it's really important that you have, um, you have a will drafted for where your assets are in the province that you reside in and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Okay, so we have a full show. I want to get right to, uh, to Brian. Uh, Brian DeCosta is a founding partner and the president of Algonquin Capital. Uh, first of all, Brian, let me just welcome you to the show. Thanks for taking some time with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. We got a loaded series of questions for you today, my friend, because, um, I mean, every, everybody knows that markets in general have been going crazy this year. And one of the areas, um, you know, are, are, is around fixed income and how that's been responding. Uh, but let's maybe just start, back it up a little bit, and we'd love to get your take on where are we in this cycle? What is, you know, the Bank of Canada, the Federal Reserve, these, all the central banks are front and center of what's happening and their actions with respect to inflation. And I'd love to just get your take on where we are right now and where, say, the Bank of Canada is and what they're looking at. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a question we get a lot. And it's actually a question we ask ourselves a lot because uh, as many, as many uh, people are aware, fixed income has been an absolutely horrible asset class this year. And frankly, we, we know that bonds do better, do well in a stable to falling interest rate environment. And we've had experienced the exact opposite. And the, the real story there is simply inflation. You know, we've seen, all of us have seen and experienced the cost of living going up five, six, seven, eight percent a year rather than the sort of 2% a year that we've grown accustomed to that, that we've had for a long time. And I think I would summarize what happened for the central banks. I mean, they got caught or everyone's been surprised by inflation because the story has gone from inflation is transitory to, well, we're a little worried it might be entrenched to, oh crap. And what the what's as a result of that what's happened is central banks have had to raise interest rates that's their tool to bring inflation down is to slow the economy to the point where inflation can come down the challenge this year is as we've gone through that progression of oh, we don't have to worry about it to oh my gosh we really are worried it's meant that interest rates have, uh, people believe that interest rates have had to go higher than we thought. And in fact, 
you know, a year ago this time, the view was interest rates would only need to go to one and a half percent to quell inflation. And as we sit today, now people are talking about four to four and a half percent in order to slay the beast. And, and that's really what's happened. Uh, that's been the story of the year behind the fixed income markets. Yeah. So I guess you, met, you mentioned the number of four to four and a half percent for the Bank of Canada to potentially take interest rates to. What do you think that is going to feel like to the average consumer? Where do you see that having the biggest impact on the average consumer's wallets and their spending patterns? So first and foremost, it's going to hit consumers uh, or most most people uh, in their through their mortgage rates. Um, anyone who's on a floating rate mortgage, uh, you you know the the as a minimum the amount of principal you're paying down and every payment is reduced. But I think that uh, we are going to see some folks that took out mortgages last year when when mortgage rates were very low, even on a floating rate basis, will probably experience. Um, uh, higher payment requirements. And then certainly uh, as we go through time and people are renewing their fixed mortgages, you know, when we think about generally speaking, 20% of those are reset every year because five-year fixed mortgages being the most popular. Um, it's going to be a sticker shock because uh, like even if we look back to 2018, 2017, mortgage rates back then were about 3%. And that was the considered the peak, you know, that was a high rate of the last 10 years. Those mortgages are going to be reset in at four, four and a half percent. Some will be reset at five. Um, and I think once people start to feel that, you know, that all of a sudden we got to come up with extra cash, um, you know, most of us don't have a, a money tree at home um, or a money a printing machine, given that that's Ill slightly illegal or very illegal, uh, the funds have to come from somewhere else and it'll come from discretionary spending elsewhere, which is exactly what the central bank wants to see, you know, funnel more money to debt payment, have less money to spend elsewhere in the economy. And therefore it gets difficult to increase the prices of goods and services. So, so Brian, walk us through a little bit, if you would, um, what you see coming into the end of the year. So are we done with interest rate hikes here? Bank of Canada, the U.S. Fed have to go a little further. Just kind of give us an expectation of, of what we see for Q4 here and into, say, early 2023. Yeah, perfect. I'd like to tackle each uh, country differently um, because I have a view, uh, a different view for each one. Um, and, you know, let's start with Canada, because that's the one that's going to matter to most of us. Um, the overnight rate is currently three and a quarter percent. The Bank of Canada has two more meetings this year. Uh, at the end of October, I fully expect to see uh, a, a rate increase of at least 50 basis points. Um, I don't think it's going to be 25. I think, you know, I think it's 50. If it's not 50, then it's 75. Um, and then when we get to December, which will be the early part of December, the first or second week, I think the Bank of Canada will probably deliver a 25 base point cut. So essentially get us a uh, hike, sorry, get us to um, 4%. At that point, I think they will likely pause. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, it'll be 375 base points of rate increases in nine months. That's a lot. We already know that Canadian consumers carry a lot of debt. 
Um, and so I think it'll just be a prudent measure for them to, you know, take a breath of air. Let's let's see what's happening. In the U.S., um, because of the nature of their mortgage market with a lot of 30-year fixed mortgages, there's people who are not going to feel the impact of higher interest rates in a meaningful way. And so to me, that means the federal and, and their, the inflation in the U.S. is actually higher than it is in Canada. So to me, the, center, the Federal Reserve has more work to do. And so I think they're going to be raising, they're going to be raising probably 75 basis points in October, uh, late October, early November, and then probably 50 in December. And then they're going to continue actually in Q1 of next year because I think they need to get their overnight rate up towards four and a half to four and three quarters percent. And then at that point, probably pause as well. Um, let's shift gears a little bit, um, because I'd like to just get your sense of, um, well, your sense of fear or optimism now, given where we're at today with within fixed income. Where, where do you sit? So at the moment, I'm actually, oddly enough, very positive about uh, prospective returns and fixed income. Uh, I know the last 12 months or 18 months has not been a lot of fun. Um, but I'm actually very optimistic going forward. And uh, uh, let me tell you why. As I said, bonds do better when interest rates are stable or falling. And I think we are closer to the end of the rate hike cycle than we are to the beginning. And so we, you know, we may not be at the exact end, but we're very close. And, you know, markets are always forward looking. So, you know, I've, I've given you a path of where I think the central bank will raise rates to. But the bond market's already incorporated that outlook in, in yields. So in terms of if the Bank of Canada does do the next two rate hikes, as I anticipate, bond yields are unlikely to go higher because that's already expected news. So I think, you know, now all of a sudden after a decade of there really being no income in fixed income, um, you actually get an income. And and I particularly really like corporate bonds, but I want to I want to be careful what I I want to explain what I mean by that. When I talk about corporate bonds, I really mean investment grade bonds, and these are the high quality companies in Canada. Think about the banks, the insurance companies, the telecommunication companies, energy infrastructure is one of our favorite areas, um, and the reason is you want to. You want to invest in the bonds of companies that can weather a recession. I mean, I don't think anyone will be surprised if we have a recession, given that every second news article or in the business section is about the looming recession. And, you know, so you don't want to, you want to be with companies that have strong balance sheets, strong business models, and then you don't worry about them, whether, you know, that they're going to default. So. Investment grades where we like, I like the highest quality in investment grade. And I'm nervous about high yield because those companies there, they carry a lot of debt. So they're just like mortgage, you know, more people with mortgages, they're going to face higher interest expense in the future. Um, and that will coincide at a time when in a recessionary environment, revenues are declining. So I think a few of those companies will run into challenges. And so to me, the, the investment grade universe is really good and you can start to build portfolios where you can get coupons or think of in, uh, distributions of five or six percent 
that you could build out for five years, 10 years um, in the corporate bond market, which you know we haven't seen, frankly, since probably 2006. And so you know, for people who, who wanna say, hey, I, I, I wanna have less volatility than the equity market and I need an income, I mean, the corporate bond market right now looks really attractive. I think the other thing is, you, you know, central banks are closer to the end of the rate hike cycle. We already seen signs the economy slowing over the over the last four months. Canada's actually lost about ninety thousand jobs, and you know that's be, you know part of that was before rates even you know we haven't even finished raising rates so. I think we are going to have a slower economy. So it's, you know, we'll sort of get that hopefully sideways movement in interest rates, but eventually we could probably inflation should come down. That's, I, th I do think it'll come down towards 2%. And then the central banks will be able to ease and fixed income will do really well in that kind of environment. So I think you want to also approach fixed income with the idea that I'd like to own some uh, invest in products where the manager can have take on a bigger exposure to interest rates because you can have an opportunity for excess return and fixed income. So that uh, as a as a saver that sounds encouraging. I mean there will be people with high interest rates as and companies as Brian pointed out that will be exposed to higher payments, right? right. So depending on if you're you know what side of the balance sheet mm -hmm. you're on holding the debt or or uh, buying the debt mm -hmm. uh, could could you know determine what <laughs> that future looks like. But it is good news from an investment perspective. If I can form a base now that's a stable base at four or five percent, then it looks a lot easier to get those kinds of returns that people need to satisfy the financial plans and you know what they need for, for retirement. That's right. Now I'm going to ask the question which every client asks us, <laughs> which is how long is this going to last? So whether that's the interest rate, the, the pain or the opportunity, depending on which side of the coin you're on. How long do you see this going on for? So, you know, as a as a manager, I would love to have a four or five percent interest rate world for a long time because it it makes my job a lot easier, right? Um, but uh, I unfortunately I think that uh, we will not be so lucky, and so you know, obviously for mortgage people with mortgages, that's good news. Uh, I think you know we're probably in this kind of environment. Up, up until probably, you know, this time next year, um, because I, I think the central bank will be reluctant to lower rates very quickly. They certainly have told us they do not want to repeat the experience of the 70s where they let inflation get out of control. So I think they're going to keep rates a bit hot, higher for longer than we, we are used to them having done it. Um, and so uh, but that said, the bond market is always, it's a very fast market. And when they get a sense that interest rates are moving lower, bond yields will move lower. So we could see that uh, in the, by the summer of next year. And, and, um, but, so I do think the, the window in terms of allocating or thinking about in, you know, allocating to fixed income is this quarter and next quarter. Um, but the, the, the good news is even when interest rates decline, I don't think we're going to go back to the 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 experience of the last ten years, where you know bond market you you were earning one and a half percent in fixed income. I think on a on a go forward basis, it's not unreasonable to think of fixed income instead of being sort of five and six being three or four uh, percent over the longer term, which 
isn't terrible as well, especially if uh, inflation is back at the 2% mark. Okay. So, um, you know, what's important to take away, Lee, and I think, and Brian, your comment on this is that there are cycles. And, and when we deal with people, um, we get trapped in, Brian, as you said, the headlines, right? Every second headline is recession or, you know, some problem. And, um, and we get drawn into that. But what you're saying is that is that there, there, there are cycles that take place. Things will go up, they're going to go down, whether it's interest rates, inflation, whatever the case may be. Um, like your, your comment, we've got a min, sort of a minute or less here on managing, uh, managing a strategy through a cycle. Your, your comments on that. Yeah, so, so for us, when we're managing a strategy through a cycle, we really think about where do you want to be in the bond market um, at that point in the cycle. And as I've mentioned, right now, we think a recession is likely. That means I want to own the bonds of issuers that have a very low probability of defaulting because in a recession, we do see defaults. Um, and then up to now, I've, I've actually wanted to have a very low exposure to interest rates because high, as rate, interest rates move higher, it, it creates losses. But I, in the last couple of weeks, I've been actually increasing our exposure to interest rates because I feel that there's some value there. And so, you know, as a manager, we're constantly looking at that business cycle and where we are, and we're adjusting the portfolio, whether it's the quality, meaning there will be a time I'll want to own some high yield because, you know, we're back into a growing economy and those companies will do better. So I think it's important to understand where we are in the business cycle and then construct the portfolio of holdings and fixed income to reflect the safer part of that market or the part of the market that's going to benefit the most from where we are going in the future. Brian, I want to thank you for that. Um, and I appreciate all your input on behalf of Leanne and I. Thank you. And for all the viewers and listeners, uh, it's nice to hear, uh, you know, somebody who's immersed in that market uh, give a sense of uh, it's not all doom and gloom. There is opportunity. After problems, there's always opportunities. Uh, and then after opportunities, there's you know generally problems. So that cycle will continue, but managing through it, right, is what's most important. So thank you for those comments. Thanks for having me. We've been joined by Brian DeCoste, who's a founding partner and president of Algonquin Capital. We have four buckets, Leanna, um, and I'm sure people are tired of hearing about our four buckets. But the four buckets are really important because it generally addresses sort of the four really key areas in families' lives in general terms, right? Income, growth, um, health, and legacy. And I have to say, my, my experience with the legacy bucket is often the most rewarding work that we do with client families because it's really about, it's about uh, your gift to family, kids, charities, whatever the case may be, right? So it's for families that, that are Simply, they, they've got more wealth and they, they need to support their retirement lifestyle. They pass, and now they want to pass along this gift. However, um, it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting experience in dealing with people at this because there's a reluctance sometimes to talk about the true family dynamics, right? At least initially. Well, and I'm not sure it's just the family dynamics that people are reluctant to talk about. It's everything to do with wills and estate planning that tends to be a bit of a hurdle for people. Fair. It's whether it's not wanting to talk about the fact that you might pass away at some point, whether you don't necessarily want to acknowledge or you don't want to tell other people about issues in your family or 
things you might be experiencing. Um, I think one of the things that people forget is that everybody has these issues. Right. And so one, one of, we were talking to somebody uh, just the week, this week, and their comment was, um, thank you for having the conversation because it normalizes it, right? It, it's, it, 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 we, sign, we shine that, uh, a light in that dark corner, and then when you realize this, and we're fortunate because we get to have lots of these conversations, so we understand that fam, you know, dynamics in every family is normal. But for those people that are listening that think, oh, you know, this is really, I've got some terrible situation I'm dealing with, um, not to minimize the situation, it might, it might be a difficult situation, but everybody's got difficult situations, which is why it becomes important to do these things, right? Because you, you don't want that to tear a family apart. That's exactly right. And if, if you are one of those people who are thinking about avoiding doing some sort of estate planning because you're worried about having to deal with all of these issues or you're worried about creating more complication in your family, I've, my suggestion would be, or I would argue that, it's actually more complicated if you don't do that plan. Right. The worst thing you can possibly do is not plan at all. Yeah. Um, and so you're uniquely positioned in this business as well because of your background, your educational background is around law. Um, and so you understand this, I think, better than most. And then it's interesting for you to be able to bring sort of this wealth advisory perspective, the, um, the big umbrella mm -hmm. to, to it. Um, and there's some things that people generally need to know about this. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the, the differences in the type of people in your life, because some have uh, certain rights that others don't. Okay? Right. Talk to me about that. So I would generally categorize the groups of people that a court or the legal system would look at as your children, mm -hmm. which sometimes or sometimes doesn't coincide with who might be your dependents or people who rely on you for financial support, your spouse, mm -hmm. and then sort of everybody else yep. becomes the last category. And among those three different groups, people have different rights and it's different depending on what province you're in. Yeah. So that's a major consideration that needs to be taken into account when you're talking with your lawyer in order to set up an estate plan. But um, generally speaking, and again, this is depending on what province you're in, um, your children very often have rights mm -hmm. that others in your family don't. Right. Now, if you want to treat those children all the same, you may not have an issue, but if you want to treat them differently or distribute your assets differently because of, I don't know, whether you've done something for them during their lifetimes that you're taking into account in your estate plan or something else, yep. then it becomes a little bit dicey because some of the courts in some of the provinces may force you to have a more equal distribution than you might have planned for. Right, right. And, and a spouse uh, carries, again, a privileged position in, uh, in most provinces and in most cases. And think about uh, the complexity that gets added if that spouse is, say, a second marriage mm -hmm. uh, versus a first marriage mm -hmm. that adds a level of complexity. We've, we've done some shows in the past uh, in the past on that. But it's this, uh, I, I think this idea of normalization, I really, I really thought a lot about that uh, when that norm, when that question came up, because Generationally, we see differences too. 
right? And so we deal with with typically a, a crowd that is either transitioning to or living in retirement. And if people are deep in retirement, a little older, I would say, generally speaking, that generation has um, been a little bit more tight-lipped um, in, in terms of their financial situation and whatnot. And that, and that leads to some challenges. Right. So if you've never talked about your assets with your family or you don't really want to share what your plans are for your estate wishes because you're worried about you either just don't talk about it as a family and it's not normal for you yeah. or you are worried about how they're going to react to it yeah um that could create some issues of its own yeah because if the first time that somebody is finding out about your estate wishes is when you've passed on and they open up the will all they have to go on is what's written in that legal document. There's nothing typically in that document about why you've chosen to do things right. this way or what your rationale was for, you know, maybe perhaps adding something to one child that the other child didn't get or treating them equally or if they don't believe that it should be fair and equal. I've seen cases like that right. where, you know, it's a, farming family and one of the children stays behind and works on the farm and the other two move off and the one that's working on the farm expects some sort of compensation in that arrangement but then the division is equal right so depending on your particular family situation and this is it's very situation dependent 100 percent. but if you've never talked about it then you're going then you may be opening up the door for issues right. amongst your children when you've passed on. And you're not there for them to ask you. Right. And that's the hardest part. We, we often say, the, we've never sat down with anybody who said, my goal is to tear my family apart. Exactly. That's my estate goal. I want to make sure that there's a big legal, ugly legal battle and it rips my family apart. Mm -hmm. But it can often be the smallest things, right, that do that. So the way one person reads and interprets that equal distribution could be very different than somebody else. And the conclusions they draw without the context of having the conversation, to your point, can often lead down very different paths. Well, everybody, Everybody's idea of fair right. is different. Right. And so if you have two or three kids that di disagree on what fair looks like, yeah. um, the court battles are long and ugly and very often families don't recover from something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So our, listen, our, I think our advice, we can say generally speaking, is uh, is take the time, obviously, to prepare the, the proper legal documents. But beyond that, we, we see it every day. Those families that have the conversations about intent and context and so on and so forth tend to have fewer problems than those that, than those that don't. And the thing is also that things change. So whatever... Mm -hmm you know, every three to five years, you should probably be reviewing things and having conversations mm -hmm. because things change in kids' lives and so on and so forth as well. So it's it's like everything else in retirement. It's not a set and forget kind no. of a strategy, is it? No. And I mean, I've spoken to people this week who have said, oh, I haven't actually looked at my will since 2000. Right. Okay. Well, you've added three or four grandkids since then. And perhaps you know, want to provide something for them and their education and yep. that's not included anywhere. And so your wishes will change right. and your family will change. And as those things happen, all of these documents need to be updated. 
Unfortunately, it is a bit of a process to do. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that you kind of add to your regular schedule of updating, particularly with us, when you update your financial plan and you update the goals you have, you just incorporate those wishes for your family for the future into that sort of update process yep. to make sure that it's always fitting with your wishes. Yeah, that's right. Whatever's yeah. current at that particular time. Um, and, you know, an interesting show that, that we, we did today, and the only thing I want to say, I want to rehash it all, but is there's, there's a number of different components to, uh, to retirement, right? And even within the investment portfolio, there's a number of different components. We spent a lot of time on fixed income and the craziness there. We had another really wild week um, in, in the equity markets after a, you know, a pretty punishing September. Well, I think the surprise was is that we were up for three days. We had a three-day rally. Well, and not just up, but mm -hmm. substantially, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we had a fifteen hundred point move in two days in the in in the Dow, and, and maybe let's touch on that because we often talk about volatility, and that implies down, right? But volatility is both up and down. Right. So, so given that we're in an environment of high volatility, and given that we've seen like when the market snaps back you see these very sharp increases. What does that sort of speak to in terms of, of, of market timing and, and you know, what, what investors need to be aware of given the environment we're in? Well, what it really speaks to is that it cuts both ways. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you're one of those people that worries about rapid drops in the market and you exit the market because of those, that also means you are likely going to miss those rapid upsides. Right. So what does that then do to your portfolio if you're missing recovery days? You know, and, and we've encouraged, we've, we've, we've done pieces on this in the past, but I would encourage anybody to remind themselves uh, to do the research around, uh, around the best trading days, the impact of the best trading days on portfolio performance over time. And it is shocking and it's scary how precise you have to be on your timing because if you miss any of those top days in a year or a five-year period, right, it materially reduces the um, the total return profile, and that's an issue that many many investors have experienced in the past, where they've they've made emotional decisions. So I thought this was a very interesting week, given that very sharp snapback, right? Mm -hmm. So pessimistic coming out of September, and then. Bang, you, the first two days of October. Now, who knows where we're going to end up for the quarter. Certainly, there are some real problems. Um, uh, we can talk about uh, uh, those a little bit. But I think it's worth reminding ourselves that your strategy, whatever your strategy is, it is um, it, it, it has to be time in the market, right? I don't care what the strategy is. It's time in the market. And be very, very careful about switching strategies at the wrong time. And trying to time it at the same time. Yeah, well, that's true. Because yeah. that's, I think that's the most dangerous piece where if you say to yourself, oh, I'll just get back in when it's at the bottom, calling the bottom is almost impossible. Yeah, well, the, 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 the official bottom will be called generally six months after. That's how difficult it exactly. is, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. I thought... We're in an environment now that's a bit confusing for people because often good news is bad news. And I'll give you a good example. On Friday, we were talking about the jobs numbers came out for the U.S. and for Canada. And um, the initial reaction in the markets uh, on Friday was, was a negative interpretation of it, which, which 
is interesting. Like the jobs numbers, both economies created jobs, but a little bit more than expected, but close enough that I would say in line with expectations. Uh, unemployment rates both uh, went down a little bit. There's some issues around participation, who's looking for jobs. And then we had wages either coming in in line or below expectations, which generally is a, is a good thing. That's what central banks need to see is some of that wage pressure coming out of the inflation equation. Um, but you know, mar market's initial reaction was negative to that. And it probably is pricing now, you know, the market is pricing in this notion that we need solid beats. Like we need to see some sharp pullback in those areas for mm -hmm. it to be good news. Now, again, the trading days are long and, you know, uh, trust me, whatever the morning represents doesn't necessarily mean that's how the, the day is mm -hmm. going to end. But I think that, um, that people need to be very uh, careful um, about, about the interpretation of single data points. And we really are looking for trends now. And I think that's what central banks, if you're a central bank follower, that's mm -hmm. what they're looking for. Not just looking for trends, but when the notion of bad news is good news, I think is an interesting one for most people. Um, Rob and I were having a conversation with a client this week, and we were talking about the fact that it has to hurt for a little bit. Yeah. What, what the central banks are actually trying to do is cause a little bit of pain to consumers, just enough for us to say, that's too expensive, I'm not going to spend that. Right. Because that is ultimately what is going to slow the economy down and get inflation headed downward. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, I think that's a really good point. And, and, a, and a premature rally in the market, which we saw in the summers, or in the summer, was was a welcome breather for people. Um, but it's, again, it's not, to your point, what central banks need to see. And some of this, likely historically, will we'll look back and say, you know, they, uh, central banks put on a bit of a poker face, right? So they can influence us as consumers in a couple of ways. They can raise interest rates, which makes things more expensive, takes, you know, uh, mortgages more expensive, those kinds of things. But they can also scare people into saying, we're really going to, you know, we're going to jack rates up. Now, they may or may not have to do that. But trust me, we talk to lots of people. Just the fear of that happening is often enough to have people, okay, I'm, I'm a bit uncertain and I got to slow down a little bit here. That in and of itself will take some of that inflationary pressure out. Exactly. It's that, it's that fear and the slowing in the spending. Right. It, it's a maybe a little bit of worry about pain. Right, right. Yeah, and, and listen, I think we're gonna be a broken record on this one uh, for a little while. I, I don't think there's a lot of confusion now about what is influencing the markets. The uncertainty, of course, is we don't know how far um, rates are yet to move. And, and the market is concerned about that from a recessionary perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I would say on balance, the risks are increasing that we will face a recession in North America. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll be, you know, they'll coincide with each other, US, Canada, uh, not really talking about Mexico, sort of developed market stuff here. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the risks are increasing. Um, I would say on the balance of probabilities still says it's a shallow recession or a no recession mm -hmm. versus a deep recession, but it's not a zero probability that it's a, it's a deep recession. And so I would expect that we continue to see, you know, some headlines where or people are in that camp and you'll have headlines all over the place. And I can't tell you and you as well have, I've had so many conversations with people to say, you know, if, if you're reading negative headlines, 
Um, your social media feed is going to feed you that stuff. You're going to seek it out as validation to your thinking, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Pause and look at the other side. I remember sending articles to a client just this past week and said, here, read the other side of the argument. Mm -hmm. And it was an interesting conversation follow-up. Well, hey, you know, everybody, we're all over the place. Nobody seems to know. That's, That's true. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Nobody knows where we're going to end up. Mm -hmm. So how does that fit into your overall strategy? What risks are you going to mitigate? That's the conversation you want to be having with your advisor. That's right. Okay. Um, I think we need to um, we need to put this together for people, right? Mm -hmm. And we try to do that every single month. And we'd love to have you out because we'll have an opportunity to talk about uh, how you structure retirement to get through all different kinds of cycles that you're going to face and happy to have a, a full Q&A, right, uh, for questions that you've got for us in this particular environment. Mm -hmm. So why, why don't we invite everybody to that? So we're having our next retirement seminar where we'll be talking about this process and structure and the markets and where we think they're headed. Um, on Tuesday, October 25th, mm -hmm. 7 p.m., that's live either online or you can attend in person and chat with us there at the Carriage House Inn here in Calgary. You can register for that by going to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register, and we hope you can join us there. Well, Leanna, I want to thank you for joining me for your very first More Than Money. I think you did a fabulous job. I appreciate it. It's fun. I look forward to doing more of them with you. Thanks for having me on, Dave. All right. On behalf of Leanna and myself, Dave, I want to thank you for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to ch uh, chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.